in Genesis. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're in the life of Joseph, Genesis 44. We're going to be looking at Genesis 44 and, and 45. I hope tonight you can rest, and even as we enter into prayer, that you can just take a deep breath and enjoy the Lord's presence and know that He loves you and that He's with us this evening. So let's pray together. Father, we do rejoice in you. We rejoice in your love for us. And we do just stop and pause and acknowledge that you're with us. Acknowledge your presence. God, we thank you that you are using all things for good. You're even able to take evil and to turn it to good for your plans and for your purposes. And as we look at the life of Joseph and how it's unfolding and your stories being told through his life, that we would be encouraged. I pray for those tonight that need rest, that need refreshment, that need encouragement, that you would encourage them in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems like the best way to learn is a good story, isn't it? Don't you love a good story? And there's nothing greater than the life of Joseph. It's been a few weeks since we have studied his life. If you remember, he has many older brothers, and these brothers are filled with jealousy because his dad's affection is upon him. He has the coat of many colors. He is the son of Rachel, the favored wife. The brothers see an opportunity to kill their brother, but then decide to sell him as a slave. So as a 17-year-old, He leaves as a slave to Egypt. God is with him in Potiphar's house, begins to bless everything that Joseph does. Potiphar can see that the Lord is with him and gives everything over in his house to Joseph's charge. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape, which lands Joseph in prison. Once again, the Lord is with him in the midst of that false accusation. He's faithful to serve in prison, and he's given charge over fellow prisoners. Then here comes the butler and the baker, both being thrown into prison, having a dream. They both have a dream. Come to Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream for them. The butler's restored to his position. The baker is executed, but Joseph is forgotten and stays in prison until Pharaoh has a dream that no one can interpret. Joseph gets a phone call. He's remembered and brought into Pharaoh's presence. He seeks the Lord. God gives him the interpretation of the dream. There's going to be seven years of famine, or excuse me, seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of famine. In an instant, in a moment, then he is lifted up to be second in charge of all of Egypt. Here comes his brothers in need of food. This famine affects the whole region. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And Joseph is in the midst of a series of tests. He's testing his brothers before he reveals his heart, before there is reconciliation. The famine is only two years in. There's still five years of famine left. And what we find in this section of Joseph's life is the wisdom to make sure that there is repentance in his brothers before he opens up his heart to them. Forgiveness is an absolute. Forgiveness is something that we extend based because of what Christ has done. But reconciliation takes place when someone's heart has changed and there's actions of repentance. Not actions of perfection, (laughs) 
but actions of repentance. And that's what Joseph is, is waiting for. And I think that there's a lot for us to learn about broken relationships. And when do you reconcile a relationship? And Joseph is in the midst of walking that journey. In verse 1 of chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Benjamin has been brought with the brothers, the the youngest brother, on this second trip back to Egypt uh, for food. They have a meal with Joseph, and now they're getting ready to go home. And for the second time, Joseph says, go ahead and put all of their money back into their sacks. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So not just the grain and the money, but also my silver cup. Put it specifically into Benjamin's sack. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city, they were not yet far off. Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. I'm sure the brothers were feeling relief when they're leaving Egypt, when they're getting out of Joseph's presence with with food. They've got hungry family back at home and they're moving uh, down the road. But now here comes Joseph's servant, Joseph's steward. It's not that Joseph was necessarily practicing divination, but he's playing the part here. He's playing the Egyptian well and he's saying, guys, you stole my cup. You stole my silver cup and you know that that's my magic cup. You know, that's just not some normal cup. This is the cup in which I'm able to practice uh, divination. So what's the test here? Why Benjamin? Well, Benjamin is younger than Joseph and is only the second child from Rachel, the the favored wife. If the brothers were still of the same character, they would be jealous towards Benjamin just like that they were jealous towards Joseph. So he sets the stage in a very similar way. This is an opportunity for them to do away with Benjamin just like they did away with Joseph. And they don't have to hear about the favored children anymore. They don't have to hear about the sons of of Rachel any longer. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far it be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Hey, do thieves return stolen valuables? Do you have thieves do that? Hey, I'm feeling really bad about stealing your car. I just want to return that to you, right? (laughs) No, they don't do that. And that's the point of the brothers is we returned the money that was put into our sacks. Look at our character. We're, we're not thieves. They're so confident that no one has the silver cup. This is what they say in verse 9. With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So if anyone has this golden cup, just go ahead and kill them. The silver cup. And then the rest of us will be your slaves. In verse 10. And he said... 
Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. So only the one that has the cup will be the slave. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched it. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. The suspense is building. Joseph knows the birth order. He's already made that clear in the dinner. He sat them in their birth order. From the oldest to the youngest. Nope, no cup, no cup, no cup, no cup. And then here is the silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And you can imagine the terror that's coming over the the brothers. Then they tore their clothes. Each man loaded his donkeys and returned to the city. Years prior, whose clothes did they tear? They closed jo- tore Joseph's clothes. As they sold him as a slave, they took his coat of many colors and tore it up, saying a wild animal had killed Joseph. Now they're tearing their clothes. And we see the change in character. We see the change of heart. We see the repentance. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done. Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. We're hearing repentance from Judah. We're seeing repentance in Judah's actions. When he says our iniquity has been found out, he's referring all the way back to selling Joseph as a slave. You would think that this would be an opportunity to get defensive. This would be an opportunity to say we have been set up. Or at least it could be an opportunity to say we never liked Benjamin from the first place. He definitely stole your silver cup. See you later, sucker. Right? See you, little bro. Send you a text. Now you're a slave. Just like your older brother Joseph was sold as a slave. I think we need to stop and pause because this chapter is really easy to, to read through and just see it as a narrative. But God is giving us an understanding of what repentance looks like. Because sometimes we're going to be in the place of the brothers. We're going to be in the place where we have done wrong. And we receive forgiveness from the Lord, but we want to know how can there be restored relationship? How can there be reconciliation in a relationship? The way that that's going to happen is through a heart and actions of repentance. We should be able to articulate what we've done wrong before God and the people that we've sinned against. I, I've sinned against you. This is, this is what I've done. And where our actions have gone wrong, that we turn from that and we turn to the Lord and our actions start to go in the right direction. Now it depends then on the other people if they're willing to forgive and enter into reconciliation. But sometimes we're insisting on reconciliation without there being repentance. 
where we're saying, look, you have to forgive me and you have to let me back into your life and I'm not going to change and I'm not going to acknowledge that I've done anything wrong. And so Judah and the brothers are really showing us what brokenness looks like, what repentance looks like, a change of heart and a change of actions. And we see Judah not only articulating it in his words, but now he's willing to stand by his brother. He's saying we're all willing to be slaves. If Benjamin's staying here, we're staying here as slaves as well. In verse 17, but he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph's holding his ground. No, I just want Benjamin. You guys can can go back to dad. Then Judah came near to him and said, oh my Lord, Please let your servant speak a word in the Lord's hearing. So Judah presses the point. Judah gets up close to Joseph. He, he takes a risk and begins to plead his case. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you're even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, whom is young. Don't you love how the Bible's just honest about age? Our dad's old, and he had a son really old in his age, right? His brother is dead, speaking of Joseph, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant's father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. We see Jacob's love for Rachel over his other wives. And they went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring, me down, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Jacob's bearing his heart here saying, I've already lost Joseph. If something happens to Jacob, I'm not going to be able to bear it. I'm going to go down to the grave in sorrow. So you have to promise me that Benjamin's going to come home safe. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father. Judah saying, I became a guarantee on Benjamin's life. Saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brother. At this time, and still in the Middle East, it's very much a shame and honor culture. 
And here Judah is saying, I'm going to take the shame. I'm going to take the blame. I'm going to take the responsibility if anything happens to Benjamin. And Judah now offers himself up to stay as a slave instead of Benjamin. And I think that Joseph at this point is starting to see what he's been waiting for. How come the first time that Joseph saw his brothers that he didn't open up his heart and pursue reconciliation? In his wisdom, he waited and even tested the waters to see if there was a heart and actions of of repentance. The easy thing to do would have been to just rush into reconciliation. I believe that Joseph always had a heart of forgiveness, but he was waiting to see if the actions had changed, if the the heart had changed, and, and he saw it. And I want to encourage you, encourage me, when we look at the fallen part of our character, the aspect where, where we've done things that we wish we never would have done, that we've hurt our families, we've hurt those that we've loved the, the most. You know, who suffered the most in this scenario? Joseph suffered greatly, but the brothers carried this guilt for years of what they did to, the, to their brother. And that's on their hearts, you know? And Joseph is set free in the midst of this, but also the brothers are set free in the midst of this. And you may feel and think that the sins of our past is not beyond the reconciliation of God, that God can't redeem it. And I want to encourage you that God can redeem it and God can restore relationships. And how he does that is through a broken and contrite spirit. When we're defensive of our actions, when we're blaming others, we don't experience the work of redemption and reconciliation in our lives. But when we're broken the way that Judah and his brothers are broken, when we take responsibility for our actions, when we can articulate that to the Lord and and turn from our sin, and God begins to pour out grace. And when we can turn in those that we've hurt and those that we've sinned against and begin to to change our actions and change our our attitudes— Many times that's going to lead to reconciliation in in relationships. And God loves that. He's in the business of rebuilding, isn't he? And he's in the business of of reconciliation. But the path forward is is repentance. And tonight, that may be you. That may be me. And saying, okay, I'm going to follow Judah's example. I'm going to walk in repentance before God and before, before others. So verse 34 For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This isn't necessarily planned out by Joseph. He knows that this moment is coming when he's waiting for enough fruits of repentance, but it's evident to him now. And he's overcome with emotion, and he knows now is the time, and he can't hold back any longer. Has everybody leave? It's just him and his brothers, and he reveals himself to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. So he is so overcome with emotion that everyone can hear it. All the servants that he sent out can hear it. The house of Pharaoh can hear it. I mean, every once in a while in life, you hear a cry like this. 
and it's deep, and it's loud, and, and all of this comes out. And there's years of hurt here for Joseph. And there's years of pain that's here. There's also years of God's promises that he's been carrying, that his brothers are going to bow down to him, that his parents are, are going to bow down to him, and wondering, how is that going to, to be fulfilled? There's this longing for reconciliation. There's all the pain that's built up, but then there's this anticipation of, could there be forgiveness? Could there be release from all the tension that's in this relationship? And it just, it just comes out. And the poor brothers, they don't know that it's Joseph yet. They're like, this guy is psycho, you know? Like he set us up with this silver cup and brought us in here and framed us for this. And Judas just poured out his heart. And then all of a sudden he starts wailing and crying. And what, what in the world is, is going on here? Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They're shocked. Really? This, this is Joseph, right? And there had to have been this sense of, we are going to get it. We are done, right? We are totally at this guy's mercy. Our brother can, can kill us at, at this moment. And Joseph is showing that he did gain a heart of forgiveness. Because if he hadn't gained a heart of forgiveness, he would not be showing this kind of compassion. When he revealed himself to his brothers, it would have been in a mean, vengeful way of, I'm your brother and you're going to pay. But instead, he's opening up his heart, desiring now for the relationship to be reconciled because he has seen that fruit of repentance. The kind of compassion that Joseph shows reminds me of the father of the prodigal. When the prodigal son comes home, this is Luke fifteen twenty. it says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father had compassion upon his son. The father embraced his wayward son, wept over his son, kissed his son, welcomed him back with no, how could you? What did you do with all of the money? How are you going to make this right? It was simply an expression of compassion and grace and mercy as his repentant prodigal son was coming home. How in the world could we forgive others that have wronged us so bad? Not until we first see ourselves as the prodigal. We've all played the prodigal. We've all wandered to pig pens that we shouldn't belong in. We have attitudes that don't glorify the Lord. We have actions that don't glorify the Lord. And God is so quick the moment that we turn back to him to forgive us and to cleanse us from our righteousness, unrighteousness and to welcome us back into fellowship with God. And when we've experienced the compassion of God, when we've experienced the forgiveness of God, then it's able to flow into other people's lives because we're never asked to forgive someone else more than which God has forgiven us. We're just forgiving a small portion compared to the degree in which God has, has forgiven us. Joseph shows that, that heart of compassion and mercy and grace. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, 
whom you sold into Egypt. Saying, guys, it's really me. It's really me. I'm your brother. You sold me as a slave to Egypt. This is where this all ended up. And I love what Joseph declares in the next two verses. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me. God sent me. Isn't that a powerful statement? The brothers committed evil. The brothers committed this act of jealousy to sell their younger brother as a slave. But Joseph didn't see it that way. He saw that God's sovereignty, God's plan, God's power trumped even his brother's wicked decisions. And that's so comforting in our lives. So comforting. Is we will sin against others, others will sin against us. And to see that God is so big that he doesn't condone the sin, God doesn't approve of what the brothers did, but God is greater than the sin that the brothers committed and said, I'm going to take what you meant for evil and I'm going to turn it for good. And that's what Joseph's going to say at the end of his life in Genesis. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. God is the one who sent me. Sometimes God's sending is through adversity. Sometimes God's sending is through someone else's wicked deeds. Someone does something that's wrong. Someone does something that's unrighteous. Someone treats you unfairly, and it's God's hand. God is sending you to preserve life. He's got a plan. He's bigger than the wickedness. This shows an amazing amount of maturity in Joseph to be able to recognize this. We look at this and almost think, man, Joseph must have written a sermon, right? But this is real time, real life. He's in the conversation with his brothers and in the moment decides to reveal himself to his brothers. And this is in his heart. And he's saying, no, guys, God sent me here. God is the one who is in the midst of this. God gives us a timetable of Joseph's life. He's 17 when he's sold as a slave. He's 30 when he becomes second in command in Egypt. There's seven years of prosperity and then there's two years of famine. He's 39 years old at this point. And he's been in Egypt for 22 years. He spent more time in Egypt than he did with his family in Canaan. This hurt. This was painful. He was accused as a rapist. Finding himself in prison. Rejected by those that could lo- were supposed to love him. And he had the maturity to say, you know, God's in this. God is in this. And he used this to put me in this position to give me the opportunity to preserve life. Trial and difficulty will either make us better or it will make us bitter. We will look back over our lives and we'll either see God's hand and we'll see his plan and we'll see how he's using it to get us where he wants us or we'll be bitter or we'll be in a place of how could you and God, you forsook me and if God allows suffering in my life, I don't know if God, God loves me. So we get a depth of Joseph's character here and that he saw God working in the midst of this difficulty. Not always easy to do. Verse seven, 
And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. Joseph could not be more clear. Verse 9, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Go to dad. (laughs) Tell dad the good news. Tell dad that he needs to come. Longs to be reunited with his father. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, your dogs and your cats, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. What does reconciliation mean? Reconciliation means come near and dwell with me. When there is that place where someone has shown repentance in their actions, not perfection, but repentance in their actions, there's that heart of forgiveness, there's that conversation that takes place, And reconciliation then is there's no more walls. There's no more barriers. It's the restoration of the relationship. This is what God longs for. This is what God delights to be able to do. Joseph could have said, hey, you know what, guys? It's been great to see you. I forgive you, but you just stay over there in Canaan. I'm gonna stay over here in Egypt and let's not even do Christmas together, okay? right. See, that's not, that's not reconciliation. Joseph's ready for relationship. He's saying, guys, you need to move here. I want you to come and be near to me. There's a famine that's on. I want to provide for you. And that's reconciliation. And maybe there is someone in your life where they have shown a heart and actions of repentance, and now is the opportunity to move forward in reconciliation. Now is the opportunity where you stop keeping score. I don't see Joseph kind of going, all right, guys, come on, you can, you can dwell with me, but I'm watching you, right? I'm keeping my eye on you. If you mess up, I'm sending that steward after you, and he's going to take you guys out. Uncle Guido, he's coming to your house, right? <laughs> see, and this is the wisdom in which Joseph shows, is because if he would have done this too early, it would have been premature, and it wouldn't have been genuine reconciliation, You guys remember Absalom and David? Where David longs to be back in relationship with Absalom, but Absalom hasn't changed. So they have a feigned, fake reconciliation where the relationship's not restored, and then Absalom burns David in the end in, in a greater way. That's not what we see here. So when there is that genuine repentance, then you get the joy of saying, I can let my guard down. You get the joy of saying, hey, there's no more keeping score. There's no more walls. There's no more barriers. Come and dwell with me. In verse 12, And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, And Benjamin wept on his neck. A day that Joseph longed for, but probably wondered if it would ever happen. 
and it happens. He's joyously reunited with his younger brother, Benjamin. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept all over them. After that, his brothers talked with him. How did this feel for the brothers? To feel the tears of Joseph, to feel the embrace of Joseph, to experience the forgiveness of their their younger brother, to have that weight lifted off of them. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. (laughs) Unbelievers are watching. They're aware of this. It's like something's going on in Joseph's house, right? I'm not sure I would have forgiven my brothers if they sold me as a slave. what's, What's the deal with Joseph? What's the deal with the God that that he serves? If you were here over the weekend, we studied John 17 and Jesus' prayer for us to dwell together in unity. The same unity that the Father and the Son enjoy. As we forgive one another and reconcile with one another and choose to walk in unity, it's a tremendous witness to believers. It's not that we're going to be perfect. It's not that we're never going to sin against each other. But hopefully inside of the church, there's this pattern of of being able to confront and receive from one another in love where there's genuine repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation and the world goes, wow, wow, that's amazing. Do you see unbelievers forgiving very often? Sometimes yes. Sometimes unbelievers show great signs of forgiveness, but there's a lot of unbelievers walking around in bitterness. But there's a lot of believers walking around in bitterness as well. And when we can see this kind of reconciliation, it's a tremendous testimony to unbelievers. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you'll eat the fat of the land. Now you were commanded, do this. So Pharaoh gets behind Joseph's invitation. Pharaoh owes so much to Joseph, he's happy to have his family come. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts, According to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey, he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments, and this doesn't bother the brothers. Years earlier, the brothers were so jealous of Joseph because he had the coat of many colors. Well, Benjamin's got all the bling bling, and they're just like, praise the Lord, you know? It's okay. This is a great place in our lives where we don't have to be jealous of other people's blessing. We don't have to be jealous of God's favor upon upon their life. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. Verse 23, and he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Have a safe journey. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him saying, Joseph is still alive and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still 
because he didn't believe them. This was never a possibility in Jacob's mind, in Israel's mind. He had the proof that Joseph had been destroyed by a wild beast. Why would he think anything else? And now he's hearing words, Joseph's alive, and he's the governor over all of Egypt, and his heart stood still, and he doesn't believe it. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. If we would have met Jacob in this season of his life, he was carrying the grief of the loss of Joseph. He even said, he even articulated, all things are against me. Jacob was living in a state of the absence of hope. Hope is the confidence of coming good. Hope is the confidence that God is working, that he is good and he does good, and that had perished, that had deceased and died in Jacob's life, and he's living in a hopeless state. And even though he's in a hopeless state about his future, God's still working. There's information that he doesn't know. Joseph's still alive. God's working a plan. Joseph is second in charge in in all of Egypt. God is actually saving Jacob's family in the midst of this. But Jacob is spending all of these years sitting on his sofa, binging on Netflix, saying, all things are against me. Hey, just get away from me. I lost Joseph. Hey, just get away from me. I lost Joseph. Hey, don't you know my son died? I don't want to have anything to do with anyone. Everything's against me. Leave me alone, right? That's where where Jacob was at. But if he only would have known, if he only would have trusted, if he only would have decided to walk by faith and say, I don't know how all this is going to work out, and my son is dead, but I'm trusting that God is still working in the midst of this. It would have been a different story. It would have been a different season of his life, but I think we can all relate with Jacob, can't we? There's times where we just get defeated. There's times where we just get discouraged. We read the promises of God, but they're bouncing off our heart like a brick wall, and we're left alone saying, I'm going to be isolated and depressed. I'm going to be convinced that all things are against me, and God's not working in my life. And the Lord keeps working by his grace. He keeps working by his grace. He keeps working by his grace. So what do we learn from these two chapters? First, it's the importance of seeing someone's heart change through actions before reconciliation. I think that's really difficult to do. I think it was hard for Joseph. It's hard to be in a place to say, I'm going to be patient and see if their heart and their actions have changed before I move to reconciliation. But we also see the power of forgiveness and the power of reconciliation. And if there's any bit of bitterness in our hearts, I hope that the Lord reveals it and the Lord sets us free from that, that we could choose to forgive even if someone's actions haven't changed, that we could extend the forgiveness the Father has extended to us because of Jesus. The reason we can forgive is because of Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for my sin and their sins, I get to choose to forgive the sin. Let it go. Forgive the sin at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then reconciliation. Reconciliation. Has there been the actions of repentance? And now it's time to embrace. Now it's time to weep. 
Now it's time to be able to see the Lord rebuild and to say, hey, let's dwell together and let's walk in the faithfulness. We see that God has a plan even in the midst of people's wicked choices. And his plan's not destroyed. His plan's not thwarted. The Lord sent Joseph. The Lord was the one that was orchestrating this plan. And then we leave tonight with the importance of living in hope. The importance of living in hope. To know, man, God is working in my life. Jacob's not living in hope. He could have been living in hope. Maybe your hope has perished. And to be able to take the simple but powerful promise of God that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose, that God is working a plan. Whether I see it or I understand it, and it's a puzzle, and many times we don't see it, but to say, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. If the enemy can't get you to reject Christ, he's going to try to get you to be a dead person walking where you're absent of love, you're absent of hope, you're absent of joy, you're simply going through and and you're surviving. But we serve the God of the resurrection. We serve the God of the living hope that wants to come into our isolation, come into our couch with our binge Netflix watching, right? (laughs) Say, look, I want to give you hope. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with watching something good on Netflix, if you can find it, right? There's, there's a time to rest. But there's those times where we know we're just checking out. We're just checking out. It has nothing to do with what's on the screen. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm just checking out. I'm just surfing the net because I don't want to deal with life. So I'm just cruising Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace because it's a relief from whatever, you know, ESPN, it's, it's just checking out. It's, it's living in that place of hopelessness. Man, God is still working. He's still working. All things are not against you. God is working all things together for good. So Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you for, for his character. He could have gotten bitter. He could have given up. He could have stopped serving faithfully, but he served over these 22 years, not knowing what the the outcome would be, has a heart of forgiveness and a heart of wisdom to wait for reconciliation and then just pours himself out in reconciliation. Lord, we thank you for the example of the brothers. Even though they sinned, we see them walking in repentance. Lord, we ask that you would do a work of forgiveness, a work of reconciliation and relationship. I just pray over those broken relationships inside of marriage, with children, with parents, with close friends, hurt towards other believers. Holy Spirit, would you just come and work in those, in those areas? And God, we thank you that evil doesn't have the final word that even in the midst of evil, that you are turning things together for good. You're, you're orchestrating your plan. Father, would you be gracious to just raise up Joseph-like believers? <laughs> Lord, would you raise up men and women that would love you and serve you the way that Joseph did? So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.